welcome again for those of you that may just be joining us this morning. It is a small group Sunday, which means hopefully those of you that are watching that are a part of Antioch West will not stop here, but you will continue your uh, engagement today by attending a group somewhere, somehow, some way. Um, and I encourage you to do so. And as always, if you're not a part of a group um, and you want to be a part of one of our groups, which is the foundation of Antioch West, please uh, reach out to us and let us know that you'd like to do that. We have groups that meet all over the area. And then for those of you that may not be able to be in our area but still want to participate, we do have some groups that are able to connect with you virtually. And so uh, I encourage you, if you want to be a part, we would love to have you um, and uh, help you along on your journey as you grow closer to Jesus Christ, but more importantly, as you connect with the body of Christ. So, amen. We're glad to have you today. Really quickly, next week, we are back in person at Maritime Conference Center, 10 a.m., for those of you that can join us. And if you're not able to join us, as always, you can reach out to us and uh, you can uh, receive a link to be able to watch that service live real quickly. I think I have done this. I've done this several times, but not in this context. If you want any information, you can just email right, right there. Antioch West at my If you need uh, more information about a small group or more importantly, if you'd like to get the link to watch the live stream next Sunday, we don't do it here on Facebook. When we're in person, we do it through zoom, which means you have to have the link in order to participate. So, um, you can get all that or more information at Antioch West at myantioch.org. Praise God. I want to uh, share something with you today. Um, and I will start off this morning by saying I am not an expert in any of this. I am not a, I don't have any of this down pat. Uh, I am consistently and daily being challenged by God in many different ways um, because I have a lot of flesh and I have a strong will and there are a lot of things in me that are God is working really, 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 really hard to um, change in me and there are some days I feel like I take one step forward and there are some days I feel like, feel like I take five steps back and, um, whatever day that is for you today, if this is a step forward day or a fallback day, we all have those. Um, but I say all that because I, I don't want anyone to ever feel like when I, when I come and share something, especially what I'm going to share today, that I'm coming from a level of ex. Uh, of some kind of expertise as if I have all the answers and I know all things. And therefore, um, I can sit here and tell you how to do it. Uh, first of all, my desire at any time I come and share with you, uh, in this, um, in this capacity is to share with you what I believe God has placed on my heart. First and foremost is to follow his will, to do what he has called me to do. Nothing more, uh, nothing less. Uh, but within that context, uh, it is my desire as I speak to you what I believe God has placed on you that it would challenge you. And a lot of times what I find that as he is challenging you, he's challenging me as well. And so I don't consider myself exempt from anything that is being said 
or in any way an expert that can sit here from some kind of pinnacle of religious uh, achievement and look down at those of you at the bottom of the hill and kind of point out to you your flaws and tell you how to do it as if somehow I, uh, I've got it all um, down pat. So I wanted to say all that because today, as I share with you what I believe the Lord um, is placed on my heart, um, I, I sincerely pray that as you hear what's being spoken, that you would somehow uh, um, not see or hear the person speaking it, but you would hear what God's saying to you. Because I will tell you at the end of all of this, how each one of us is to apply what is being spoken today, I would imagine is going to look a little different for each and every one of us. Uh, it's not going to be the same. Yeah, there may be some similar application, maybe in certain areas, but what I feel to speak to us today is in some ways a collective message, but also a very hyper-intensive individual message. I believe it really is both. It speaks to us as a whole, but also speaks to us as individuals. And so how that is applied, I will ima imagine it's going to be very different for each and every one of us. And so as you listen for the next few minutes, I sincerely pray somehow, some way that you would not get caught up on the messenger, but you would listen to what I believe God is speaking in the message. Because I feel like this is of great importance for us today. It's of great importance for us collectively as a body of believers. And it, it is of, in some ways, I would say, if you could say it this way, even greater importance to us as, a, uh, as individuals. If you go back to, um, uh, actually, let me read a scripture here if I can. Let me see if I can pull it up here. I did not have it. Now I'll pull it up here. Uh, uh, hold on one second. I didn't. Yeah. I need a Proverbs 27. If you don't mind giving me one second here while I pull this up on my uh, Bible app in front of me here. Uh, I wasn't planning on reading it, but I think it's a, a good foundation here to start from. Um, you know it, I, there's just not going to be something you have never heard before. Um, but Proverbs 27, verse 7, says this, A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. If you read or have read the gospels or have in any way interacted with the stories of the gospels. If you don't know what the gospels are, the gospels are the four foundational books of, in a lot of ways, I would say foundational books to the Bible, even though I know they are in our Bibles in the middle, but they're foundational because they really are the stories that build the foundation of who Jesus is. And Jesus is the foundation to all of this. I know the first book of the Bible is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. I get that in an order. But in, 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 in 
magnitude to us today. The Gospels have great significance because they build the foundation to us of the story, the man and the mission of who Jesus Christ is. And those four books, if you don't know what they are, they're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, these books are not autobiographies in any way. Uh, they're not meant to be a, uh, an all-encompassing story. In fact, um, it was said of the, of the books of Jesus' life that uh, if everything that Jesus did and said was, was, um, was to be written down, the earth, the, the, the worlds couldn't contain all the volumes that were to be written. So this is not about these four books being a autobiography or capturing in some ways every aspect of Jesus's life. But each one was written for a specific audience to convey a particular aspect of who Jesus is, whether he was the king of the Jews in one gospel, whether he was someone who came for the entire world in another gospel, tracing his lineage all the way back to the beginning of man, or in the gospel of John, we find that his message was really focusing on Jesus being the son of God, not just a man, not just a teacher, not just a prophet, but being God robed in flesh. And so each one of these gospels gives us a very unique perspective on who Jesus is. But within that, there are some crossovers. There are stories that are repeated. There are instances that we see carried out in every gospel. There are certain things that you find only in one gospel. There are some that you find in two or three. And so to really get the full picture of who Jesus is, you can't just look at one, even though you could make a case that, that of the four gospels, I feel like John's gospel is 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 to me a significant book if not the most significant book in the entire bible in a lot of ways but you can't just look at one you you look at all of these different angles and each one of them uh shares another aspect of jesus that gives us this beautiful picture of who he is within the framework of these four gospels and it is impossible to read the scriptures uh, and read the Gospels without the 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 thirty seven recorded miracles of Jesus Christ kind of jumping out at you. I mean, these are thirty seven listed miracles. There are more miracles that obviously went on that went unrecorded, but there are thirty seven miracles that we have recorded in the Gospels that are of great significance. These are not simply, and I don't mean this to be funny or to, to diminish anything that God does, but these are not simply uh, miracles of someone uh, being healed of a headache or being healed of a cold. Um, these are miracles that range from anywhere from someone who was blind to see, deaf to hear, lame to walk, dead being raised, or in... Two instances where a miraculous uh, uh, multiplication of food to feed not just a few, not just a group, but literally thousands. And so it's not just miracles that happen in one specific area, but these miracles are absolutely uh, amazing from the very beginning of all of the miracles recorded of Jesus from him being at a wedding and turning water into wine. Um it really shows you the aspect that there's nothing that is impossible for God. 
from turning water into wine to healing the he, uh, to raising the dead to healing to providing for needs. There are every seemingly instance you can or representation of things that we can go through in our life that we find that Jesus took care of in just a matter of moments. But of these 37 miracles, you can make a case for the significance of every one of them. How can, how you can say any miracle of God is not significant. And so I am in no way today trying to uh, create some kind of uh, uh, um, ranking of the 37 miracles. Man, everything nowadays is ranked. I mean, you can, you can Google right now anything, and someone out there has created some kind of list to rank it, whether it's ranking the best restaurants, ranking the best movies, ranking the best places to shop, best places for vacation, best beaches, uh, best amusement parks, best cars. I mean, literally, you can rank best jobs. I mean, you know, literally, they have names. They have rankings for names for your children. Top 10 names used, you know, top 10 boy names, top 10. And we have rankings for everything. And I am not coming today to give you Joel Wright's 37, top 37 miracles of Jesus Christ, starting with number 37, working our way down to number one. Because how can you say anything that God does is not of great significance? Now, there are things in my life that I personally uh, cherish more and they're of greater strength to my faith than others, but it's not because those others are diminished. It's just because of that moment of time where I was, those things are of great value to me. But every time God does something for me, I can't sit here and go, well, oh, that was great, God, but it's nothing compared to what you did before. So I wanted to say all that because... I want to pull out a couple of these instances out of the 37, but I don't want you to feel like because I'm pointing these out that we should diminish anything that Jesus does. And we should hold him hostage to going, God, that was great, but you could do better. You know, come on, God, step up your game. Uh, that's not the point of all this. But if you read these 37 miracles and in these 37 miracles, not only are there 37 uh, different things there's some crossover i mean there's several times he healed multiple blind people there are multiple lame people that walked uh you know deaf uh, the dumb uh he cast out multiple demons out of multiple people so there are some there are crossover to all of this uh, but when you read these 37 miracles you find that who he was uh who he was doing these miracles for was 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 just as in some ways significant as the miracle itself from this aspect of it wasn't just simply to a specific group. It wasn't simply to just a certain kind, but these miracles really were a spread of all of humanity, which is beautiful because Jesus did not come to earth to die for a specific group. He came to earth to die for the world. For God so loved the world. He didn't say for God so loved America. For God so loved the Jews. For God so loved this group or that group. Or the white or the black or the rich or the poor or the gray or the green. He said God loved the world. So the beauty about these stories is it shows that God can do anything for anybody at any time. But as you read these Miracles. If you've never gone back through, you can find lists. If you just do a simple Google search and you click, you click in 
the miracles of Jesus Christ, the miracles of Jesus listed. And you will get dozens of pages on the web that have these miracles listed. And um, if you've never read through every miracle uh, in the context of each miracle, I would encourage you to do so because I think each one of them gives us something for you and I that can edify us and encourage us and challenge us on our own personal journey. But when you look at all these miracles, to me, there are several of them that really, for me, stand out greater. Not because there are greater miracles, but because there's the context of some of those miracles really speak to something of quite significance. For example, if you if you read through this through through the through the thirty seven miracles, turning water into wine, that was amazing. But you have another miracle where there was this man who was lame, who um, who desired to be healed, but when he shows up at the house where Jesus was, um, there was uh, no room for him to get in. The room the, the house was was full. Uh, and there was no room there. Their people were spilling out of the doors and the windows. And so in an effort to get to Jesus on the inside, uh, he had four friends who climbed to the top of the house and removed parts of the roof and lowered him down on a stretcher and literally dropped him at Jesus's feet. You have other instances where uh, another one to me that really steps out, stands out to, to, to me is, is the story of the centurion that comes to Jesus and says, you know, my servant uh, needs healing. And Jesus says, take me to him. And the man says, well, whoa, whoa, time out. Don't worry about that. You just speak the word and I know he will be healed. I mean, that, that's the, 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 the significance and the connotation to all that and the layers to the magnitude of that is just, I mean, we could go for hours just on that simple exchange another one that's very inspiring and challenging at the same time is the story of the woman with the issue of blood uh, who uh, had come to the point where she had no hope she had run out of money run out of time and run out of options and in her last ditch effort uh, she encountered Jesus and her faith was at a high and a low at the same time. You ever thought about that? In some ways, her faith was extremely high because she said, if I could just touch him, I know I'll be whole. But on the other standpoint, her faith was at a low because her faith was only to be able to touch him. It wasn't, hey, I, 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 you know what? I'm going to get his attention. I don't care what has to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to, if I have to stand here and yell and scream all day, you know, if I have to hold up a sign, if I have to light a torch, I mean, if, and if I have to hire a choir to sing, I'm going to get his attention. But she's like, look, I, I'm, I may only be able to touch his garment. That's where I'm at right now. I'm just at the point where I, if I just touch his garment. But the story is so amazing. I mean, the Bible talks about she literally pressed through the crowd and got in and reached out and touched his garment and was whole. An amazing story. Just challenging and inspiring and 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 layered with so many so much imagery of 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 faith and what it means to have faith and what it means to to engage in that faith and so we began to look at the list of these encounters with Jesus and some began to 
to, to, to stick out a little more. How about the one where the blind man calls out in the crowd, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they're kind of like, shh, dude, shh, hush. And instead of being intimidated or being pushed aside, he even cried out louder, Jesus, have mercy on me. And got Jesus' intention and Jesus healed him. I mean, these are, these are simple stories that have lasting impact on uh, you and I today. We know some of the names. We don't know some of the others. Some of them are name, nameless. Not knowing that in their moments of desperation and their own moments of personal crisis that they were going to participate in an event that would be recorded that would have eternal significance that 2000 years later think about that 2000 years later we're talking about a decision that a lady made in a moment of desperation that says i just want to touch his garment and here we are 2000 years later and we're still talking about that moment and that decision so don't tell me that there's anything in god that's too small sometimes you what you would consider to be the most insignificant thing you do could have eternal impact there's no way, no way those four guys that were lowering down their friend could ever imagine that their story would be repeated tens of thousands of times over the next 2,000 years. That even today, I guarantee you somewhere, somehow, in some situation, there is somebody speaking today in the context of a church gathering that is going to use or reference one, if not all, of these stories because you can't pass them up. There's so much in all these stories that speak to you and I, that challenge you and I. But of all 37, to me, there's a couple that if I had to rank, you, it, you'd you have to start by a couple of these. Not saying again that they're more significant, but but when it comes to you and I, here we are 2,000 years later, and we're discussing these miracles which ones of which of these miracles have greater impact and significance to my life today and my understanding of who God is and my own personal journey with Jesus Christ and the impact that he has on my life and more importantly how we are as a body of Christ i'm not diminishing turning water into wine in any ways but that is a powerful miracle but I don't remember the last time I needed Jesus to turn water into wine. I'm sure some of you would love if he could turn your water into wine today. But that's not something that really speaks to our need. Yeah, it would be great today if you went upstairs or went went went, went downstairs or went to your kitchen, wherever you're watching today, and you you opened up your fridge and there was nothing in there to eat. You had nothing but a few eggs and maybe some... Uh, close to expired milk and that's all you had and you're like man I'm hungry and I've got a whole family to feed and you took those eggs and those milk and you somehow mixed them together and prayed over it and just voila there was a cracker barrel feast that exploded in front of you but most of us don't have that issue and let's be honest most of us who have that issue probably would not believe God would do that so reading the story of 5,000 being fed, 4,000 being fed, it's awesome. It, it's a, it really shows us the power of who Jesus is. But, you know, uh, whether or not it has 
significance to us? I'm not really sure. Or even the one where, you know, they're fishing all night and have caught nothing. And Jesus says, just let your net down one more time. And they're like, "Uh, I don't know about that. And I guess probably in somewhat faith and also reluctancy, they throw their net down and voila. I mean, they got more fish they know what to do with. Almost sinks their boat. They call other boats in. I mean, it's just amazing amount of of fish. And yes, you could you could extrapolate the meaning of that into the world today that, you know, don't don't you know, sometimes you just got to keep reaching out in faith and, you know, your God's got a way and a plan. And I guess you could say that way. But, you know, I don't think many of us are getting up today with the problems we're facing and are being challenged and inspired by the fact that Jesus um, created a miracle catch of fish. So, again, these are not diminishing any of this. I'm getting to a point. But there are several of them that they have such powerful significance in that period of time, but also have a have a have just of most have 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 an equal amount of significance to you and I today. There's several of them. Several. I, I believe that uh, the woman with the issue of blood is is one of those. Uh, from the standpoint of faith and activation and uh, things of that in, in, in that vein. But there's one that in a lot of ways is not the most significant in its magnitude, but maybe the most, if not one of the most significant in its lasting message, its eternal message and its applicable message to you and I today you see if you even go back to the old testament man has always had a problem we've always struggled and god has always been patient to a point and there are points where he runs out of patience and that patience finally ends and judgment comes but Man has always had a problem. It's not a new problem today. It's not something uh, that we deal with today because it's we're dealing with so many things in our world. This is something that goes back, really, if you could trace it back to the beginning of man. You can trace it back to the the formation of the the, the early records of uh, of the people of God uh, that we find in the Old Testament, the Israelites and they had the same issue and it's the same issue that we have today. In fact, in the old Testament, several times, uh, one time God lamented the fact that after all that Israel had gone through and all that he had done and everything that he had showed them that, uh, he said, they forget me days without end. Meaning they weren't even, they had, after all that God had done, these were not just the, these were not just the, the outsiders. These were not the Canaanites or the Moabites or the Hittites or the Jebusites or any other ite there may be. These were the Israelites. These were God's people. These were the ones who, uh, whose ancestors came out of bondage, who walked across dry land at the Red Sea, who saw the miracles of uh, Pharaoh's army being swallowed up, who, who walked for 40 years in a wilderness and 
was supplied with miracles on a daily basis, who, uh, who, 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 who were there when, when, when God gave them uh, the law, were there when God showed them the vehicle in which he was going to fellowship with them in the tabernacle. And, and, and after all of that, it says, my people have forgotten me days without end. On another situation where they were about to cross into the promised land. Uh, there was a warning given and eventually that warning came to pass uh, because the Bible says after these this this group of people again, let's go back through it. Just just building an image here. 400 years of bondage. Moses shows up hand of God miracles. Leads this group of. Had to have been. Um, some estimates over a million people, if not greater, out of Egypt, crossing over a Red Seas, watching the most powerful army in the world swallowed up by that same water by which you had just walked through. And then on top of that, spending 40 years of, of wandering in a wilderness area but being supplied every day, shoes never wearing out, food being given to you every day. And then crossing over eventually into what was deemed a promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey and watching God give uh, victory after victory, even against improbable obstacles or improbable odds. Marching around a walled city, whose walls were so high and so thick that chariots could race on top, watching this uh, from, a, from, from below as you walked around in silence. And finally, when God said, shout, you, you give a shout, and you literally watch these walls crumble, crumble before your eyes. After all that, the Bible records there's a generation that grew up that knew not God staggering and there's this constant tug of war in the old testament i'm not going there today because that's not the point i'm going to get to the to the to the heart of it it's not a my point today is not a very long point there's this constant tug of war we find in scripture between man's flesh and our desire and our will for our own things for our own life and our desire for God. And you fast forward to this now, and Jesus comes, he shows up, and he starts to have interaction with Jews, the people of God, the chosen ones. And he's having these interactions, and in many cases, we find that this interaction uh, in one aspect was was celebrated and at the same time, it was lamented. It was argued over. It was, uh, it was scoffed at. I mean, at one point, they got mad at Jesus because he healed somebody and they got mad at him because he healed somebody on the Sabbath and didn't take into account that this guy was healed 
His life was changed forever. They were upset because how can Jesus heal on the Sabbath? There's something wrong here. But there's one story to me that really sticks out. Not only in its significance, if you just look at it, but also in the context of where it was placed in the story of the Gospels. We know the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And five loaves, two fishes, he feeds 5,000. We follow that story. Jesus is walking on water. This incredible moment where Jesus is walking on water. And uh, he gets to the other side. And in uh, uh, an encounter he has, his disciples are eating. And a group of Pharisees that had just returned back from Jerusalem notice something about his disciples and they get a little frustrated and a little perturbed at Jesus. And they approach Jesus with a challenge and a correction and uh, a little bit of a scolding. How can you do this? And their whole frustration and point was the fact that the disciples had eaten without washing their hands. And their whole point was, you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat. And Jesus quickly reminded them that um, this was not something that he required, but this was something that they required. And then he kind of gets to the heart of the point. He said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man that defiles him. Jesus was always skirting the issue, skirt, was, was, was navigating around the, 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 the smoke screen that was being put up and was just always shooting lasers right to the heart of the matter. And this was another great example of that where he basically just said, you know what, let's, not, let's, let's, cut, let's cut to the chase. The issue is not what's going in you. The issue is what's coming out of you. And this was in Bethsaida. Now, I'll just give you a quick 30-second geography lesson Bethsaida was on the shores of Galilee so if you look at here and I'll do it in reverse so down here let's say this is the 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 Dead Sea Jerusalem would be uh if you're looking I'm trying to think I'm opposite Jerusalem is over here even though that's probably opposite so I'm, I'm looking at this in reverse so Jerusalem's over here and then you've got the Jordan River that comes up up top here you got this, the Galilee Sea of Galilee Jesus kind of worked in between both of these areas in Galilee of Capernaum which he did many miracles including his first miracle turning water into wine this was a huge you know hub for Jesus's ministry and then you have this town called Bethsaida uh that had other things that were going on in it um it was the the hometown of three of the disciples and so this is where Jesus was at the current time but after this encounter, something interesting happens. If you look at a map and you look at, you got Dead Sea, you get Sea of Galilee, you have Jerusalem and, you know, Bethlehem and all the towns you would, you would think of. And then you have Galilee, you have Capernaum and Nazareth is kind of over here off to the side in the hills. And you have uh, Bethsaida and then you have the Decapolis, which was the cities of the, the Greek cities that Jesus had uh, did some time in. There was something interesting here. It was in this moment, right after this encounter, that he takes a somewhat uh, off-the-radar trip to these two towns called Tyre and Sidon. And it was interesting because these are kind of off 
they're, they're kind of off north. They're, they're northwest of the Sea of Galilee, kind of up there on their own. They're very significant cities for the Romans. Uh, there was a port city there. It was historically significant. It was culturally significant. It was economically significant. I mean, it wasn't like he was going off to Timbuktu, but there was really no reason for him to go up there outside of the fact that he was kind of separating himself again from the persecution and the and the stuff that was going on in the area he was just in. And he goes up there, and it's in these this period of time where he's in Tyre Sidon that this this miracle is recorded. And Mark gives us the miracle, and so does Matthew. But let's read Mark's uh, description of this, uh, if we can. Mark chapter 7. This is right after the defilement of what comes out of a man defiles him. And so it says in verse 24, for there he, verse chapter seven, verse 24, and for there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. This is why I'm saying he wasn't going up there to minister and to share it. He was going up there to recover probably, to rest, to replenish himself because he was trying to sneak into town without anyone knowing it. But he couldn't be hidden. For a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and she came and fell at his feet. Now, Mark sets the the picture of this woman and sort of not just giving you her background, but kind of telling you this wasn't normal. He says this woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking and cast out a demon out of her. And Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now notice here, let's set this up. Matthew says it a little differently. Matthew gives the same story uh, in Matthew chapter 15. Um, and I love the way he, uh, Matthew describes it. Uh, let me pull it up here. In yep. Matthew chapter 15. Um, he makes this statement. And I thought Matthew's statement was kind of, even better. It says this, same story, same setting, right? Jesus went out and departed in the region of Tyre, Sidon, and behold, a woman. Now, he didn't say, Matthew doesn't tell us that Jesus was trying to sneak in under the radar, but we kind of get the same sense of, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region, uh, from that region, and cried out, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, this is the verse that cracks me up. Verse 23, but he answered her not a word, i.e. Jesus ignored her. Speak to the hand. Jesus just absolutely ignored her. Now, I got to be honest with you. This is where I'm going, and this is, I'm, I'm, I'm landing the plane here. I'm not going to just lament these points. This is where really this, this gets to the, the heart of the matter. We get so offended. We get so, such hurt feelings. We get so, oh, poor me, when we pray and ask God and he doesn't immediately answer or immediately come running or immediately change. Or if God forbid you call somebody up, whether it's the pastor or someone in the church and they don't immediately just just give you an answer or somehow they don't immediately uh, 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 solve the problem. We get so frustrated, offended, hurt. Could any of us, I don't even know, honestly, if I could. 
So I'm not saying this is a you problem. It probably is a me problem as well in this context. If I went to Jesus and I'm desperate enough that I'm actually going to him and I'm an outsider, I'm not even a part of the crew. I mean, the, but I mean, Mark gave her a three, Mark, Mark gave her a, 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 a three strike description. Number one, she was a woman in that period of time, in that area that puts you definitely a step, a notch down. She was a Greek, another notch, Syrophoenician by birth. I mean, he's just saying this is bad, bad, and bad. It was the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was everything in this situation. So she's already walking. And if you've ever been in a situation where you were feeling awkward, everything in you, you become hypersensitive. You ever been in a situation where you know you weren't maybe not supposed to be or you felt uncomfortable, you didn't fit in? How intensely hyper you got about everything, every look. I mean, if someone breathed, they could just, you know, have indigestion. You knew they were just sighing because you were near them. Or they glanced over at you and not because they were looking at you. They happened to just be looking at the reflection of a of of something behind you and you know they were staring at you, judging you. We become so hypersensitive, especially in situations where we feel uncomfortable. So this woman shows up at a house she probably doesn't belong in. And she comes to Jesus with a, 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 a legit need. Her daughter was possessed by a spirit and she didn't know what to do. And she had heard about this man, Jesus, who was, who was casting out demons out of people. And she said, this is my answer. And she comes to him and she gives them this request. And Matthew gives us this wonderful description. She said, have mercy on me. Oh Lord, son of David. And then Jesus doesn't even acknowledge her. This is absolutely a perfect excuse to be offended to walk away, to say, that's it. I knew it. God's not fair. He doesn't care. I knew God is this way. I'm just, nope, that's it. You have every right now, lady, to be offended. Jesus didn't even acknowledge her. He answered her not a word. I mean, can you imagine that? God, have mercy on me today. God, I need you today. God, you've got to do something because I know, God, there's nothing else that can be done. And you're the only answer that I've got. God, you're the only answer. And be, your response back is nothing. It's empty. It's, it's heaven is sealed over with a concrete lid. Your words come back to you, echoed back to you with empty responses. And you're like, that's it. I knew it. It's over with. And I don't know if she asked again. I don't know if she kept talking. But finally, when Jesus gave her the response or gave her response or just acknowledged the fact she was in the room, this was his acknowledgement. He said, let the children be first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Oh, somebody listen for a second. I know you've heard the story before. But I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with you something I believe God wants to challenge all of us with in this last few minutes. I mean, come on there. You just can't. You just it's it just one blow after another. He doesn't even acknowledge her. And then when he finally acknowledges her, he calls her a dog. 
He calls her a dog. And then this lady, this, this beautiful, wonderful, amazing woman gives one of the greatest, if not the greatest comebacks in recorded history. You can't write, if you try to make it up, if we sat here today in a group and we try to come up with what would be the best response you could give to Jesus in this moment, there was we could not have collectively created a fictitious response that would have been better than what she said. Because what she said, it even was so powerful and so moving, it got Jesus' attention. And her response back after he called her, number one, he ignored her. Number two, he called her a dog. The response back to Jesus was, yep, I may be a dog. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall off the table. Even the dogs get to come. Even the dogs get the crumbs that fall off the table. And when she said that, Jesus responded back and Matthew responded back with, Oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. Her daughter was healed. Number one, what does this show? It challenges me. I got to stop getting offended every time God doesn't do what I want to do. Number one, some of you need to get off, get over it. That's not a very kind way of saying it, but that's the best way to say it. Let me just break it down to you. Get over it. Cause you know what? Those of you that are just so today, you're just pouting because God's not doing everything you want him to do. You and I are going to stand in judgment with this same lady. Who's going to be an example. When we say, God, I got offended because you didn't do this and you didn't do that. He's going to say, Hey, Hey, come here. Go get, go get, uh, go get whatever her name is. Barb, Sarah. I don't know. And he's going to bring her in. And he goes, um, excuse me, the day you met me in Tyree, did I respond back to you? No, Lord, you didn't. And what did you do? Lord, I, I, I kept believing. And when I did respond back to you, what did I say? Lord, you call me a dog. And what did you do? I said, Lord, I may be a dog, but I still believe you're a healer. And he looks back at you and I and he goes, now, excuse me, what's your excuse? God has corrected me. God has spoken some very strict, straight things to me, but he's never called me a dog. And not only did he, he called her out in front of other people. It wasn't like a private encounter. He called her out in front of a house of people. But she responded back, I'll just take a crumb. So number one, it tells me, what is my excuse? Get over it. Number two, it's supposed to me, this is the part of it. How hungry are you for Jesus? This is what I really felt like the punchline to all this. Are you hungry for Jesus? I know, I know, I know. Oh, of course I love Jesus. I want to know him. No, no, no. Are you hungry for Jesus? One of the ways we determine hunger is how we deal with obstacles. 
how we deal with difficulties. Hungry people find a way. Hungry people keep searching even when it looks like there's nothing they're going to find. They keep believing, keep searching. You see, Israel, the reason why they forgot God is because they stopped being hungry for him. There were no more uh, Egyptians. There was no more famine. There was no more need for manna. There were no more Jerichos. They had gotten to the point where they were living in houses and blessed beyond measure. And they said, we we're good. We're filled up. We don't need anything else. They forgot God. This woman was desperate to the point. She says, I don't even care. Don't, I don't need a full meal. I'll just take a crumb. Are you hungry? Because this is really what the Lord showed me. I just have a few minutes left. I don't know when it's going to happen. This is not a prophetic word on timing. But I believe it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. But there's coming today where God is going to finally turn away from those that should want it to those that we deem unworthy and impossible to want it. What I mean by that is, is that there's going to come a time where God has given us who have already participated. And I'll just call it this way, the current church. I'm just going to just call it that way. It's the best way to say it. I'm not anybody. I'm not here to proclaim some prophetic word over the body of Christ. I just know what I believe the Lord showed me. There's going to come a day where he's going to turn away from the church, the modern day church. And he's going to turn to the Syrophoenician women, not women as far as sex, but just to that group because they're willing to fight and press for just a crumb while we turn away feasts prepared for us. Because we're full. We're full of our lies. We're full of our own pleasures. We're full of our own things. And we've already had, we've tasted this and tasted that. And now if it's not cooked just right, if it's not done just right, if the preacher doesn't leave it in the oven just long enough, we don't really want it. Or it's not to our flavor. It's not what we want today. Well, we didn't really want bacon and eggs today. We wanted pancakes. Oh, we didn't want pancakes today. We wanted French toast. We don't want French toast today. We'll take a waffle. We don't want a waffle today. We want a fruit bar. Why? Because we're not hungry. But there are people out there right now that are desperate, that they're willing to take a crumb that falls off the master's table. You and I have an opportunity every day as believers who are filled with his spirit, baptized in his name, to have a, a, a full spread. And yet we sit day after day and pick at our food and eat a little bit here and there, enough to maybe satisfy our obligation, but we go and we head straight to the dessert. We go straight to the fast food joints of this world. I mean, it would, it would offend you. I'm trying to be, stop here, but I, I can't. The Holy Ghost is still speaking. It would offend 
you, if you're a cook watching today, if you, it would offend you, it would highly offend you if you had prepared a Thanksgiving style meal that you had spent hours and I show up at your house and I, I'll eat a little bit here and there, but small amounts. And you notice, man, what, well, he didn't really eat much. And then when it was all said and done, I turned to the people there and say, Hey, uh, I don't know if you guys are, uh, want to do it, but I'm, I'm heading to McDonald's. I'm going to go down to McDonald's and get some food. You as a cook would be totally offended. Wait a minute. You're passing up all this food. We've got turkey. We've got ham. We've got dressing. We've got sides. We've got five-layer mac and cheese, and we've got casseroles, and we've got this. And I've spent hours preparing all of this, and yet you're willing to go down to McDonald's and get some, I don't even know if it's real meat, old fries, cold fries, watered-down soda, and a burger when I've made you a meal, we would be offended by that. But how many times have we walked away from the table that God has prepared for you and I today to go off and to eat the fast food of this world, the greasy fast food of this world, the stale fast food of this world, the cold, mushy fries of this world. When we have a feast before us and there's going to come a day, it's coming. I'm telling you, I don't know when, but I can feel it in my spirit. There's going to come a day where God says, fine, I, I, you, you're not hungry, but there are people out there that are willing to eat a crumb. They're willing to eat a crumb. They're willing to eat a crumb. There was a, a message I heard not too long ago from a pastor was a very challenging, if not the most challenging message I've heard in a long time. And in that message, and I finish, I, I sincerely tr finish with this. He, uh, he took a trip to Africa. It was, he was, he was a pastor of a pretty significant sized church. And so he took a trip to Africa for ministry. And while they were there, they were going to do some humanitarian work. And so, uh, the, um, the, the contact point that they had in the country when they got there, um, they took the pastor and the group that was with him to a, uh, a refugee camp. The, I don't know where they were in Africa, but where they were, there was a, a great, uh, humanitarian crisis. And so when they got to, they were taken to this refugee camp. And when they, when they, when they approached the camp, as far as the eye could see was a makeshift village of tarps and other materials that created these tent villages where literally tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people were gathered and they were just living in this makeshift city. Obviously the conditions were deplorable. So they pull up to this, pull up to this camp, and when they get out, within just a few moments of getting out, they hear a blood-curling scream. And they see the, the rush of the crowd rushing towards a specific spot. And obviously, out of a desire to help and also out of a desire to see what was going on, 
they rushed to the spot to take inventory of what was happening. And when they get there, the crowd begins to part and they walk up to the scene that he said, I was not prepared to see because on the ground before them was a boy somewhere in the age of nine or 10 that was in such horrible physical condition because of lack of nourishment that he wasn't even recognizable as a human being. His, 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 his physical body was in such poor condition that he, uh, you couldn't you, you you could barely recognize him as a human being and his mother is holding him as she's kind of hum, uh, hovered over him holding him screaming in agony pain at the fact that her boy is now gone and he says i'm looking at this and he said after a few moments of just taking in this horrific scene i lift look up because now this crowd has grown and it's literally hundreds and hundreds of people that are gathered around and I look up and I noticed in the crowd, there's just one after another, one after another of people in the same condition of this little boy. And he said, I knew they were just days. Some of them were maybe within hours, some within days, some within weeks of being in the same place as that boy dead because they had no food. He said, I began to calculate my head. How can we help? How can we get food here? And he said, the more I try to figure it out, the more overwhelmed I got by the need and the magnitude of the need. That these people literally, they just needed something, just just some small amount of substance, piece of bread a day, something that could keep them enough that they could keep living. But they had nothing that they were dying, starving. He said, they just needed something. And he said he had that encounter and all that. And so on his way back home, he was leaving that, that he was leaving that moment of crisis and that moment of need. And he's now having to go back home to his, to America and to his church and to sort of back to reality. And he said, the city that I come from is very, uh, is a culinary, one of the culinary capitals of the world. And he said, we are, we, we, we are foodies beyond measure. He goes, you know, it's not just food. You talking about you, we break it down. Here's the best this, the best that. And we can talk and argue about the fine, fine, fine tuning of flavor and where you go get this best. Where's the best tacos? Where's the best this? Where's the best that? Where's the best pizza? And he said, we can, you'll have people arguing passionately about what makes something better. And he says, I'm, I'm going back to that. And he goes, it's really hard to go back and to engage again in a foodie culture when you've seen people who just need a piece of bread. It's hard to go back into, into put a, 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 a rating, a review on Yelp or Google critiquing a restaurant because they didn't quite get it the right way for my palate when there are people that are literally by the tens of thousands that just could use a piece of bread. He said, it's really hard, but he said, you know what? To a greater extent, it's really hard to go back into every Sunday, have to preach to foodies when there are people out there that just need a crumb. people that was that come they're not we we know we we need we know we need to come sunday morning and sunday morning but we're really not hungry so if the if the food is not cooked quite to our palate eh, we're not really we'll just 
but tonight we'll we'll gorge on fast food we'll gorge on the papa johns of this world the mcdonald's the burger kings the the food trucks of our world while god has a feast prepared for us that we have so much food that it's overflowing and food is falling off the table. We can't, we have so much food. I mean, ever notice how much food a restaurant throws away, how much food we as a country throw away? We throw away food. I, th- I mean, this, the amount of food that we throw away is just staggering, right? When grocery stores throw away food, it's thrown away, whether it's literally thousands of people around the world that are dying of, fast out, uh, of, of, of famine. I believe the church has become the same way. We throw away more of God than most people will experience in a lifetime because we have so much. God is this feast, so much that it's filling up our tables and spilling off. We're like, we can't even have time to clean it up. Look at all the food we have. Noticing that that little bit of, of Jesus that's fallen off our table is enough to change somebody's life. And I'm telling you, there come, there's coming a point in time where God's not going to put up with it anymore. That he's going to turn to the hungry. And they may be the Greek Syrophoenicians. They may be the dogs in our eyes. They may be so deplorable. They may be so broken. They may be the ones on the outskirts of society. They may be the ones that are on the political extremes that we are throwing our nose up at right now because how can they have those feelings? But yet inside they're hungry and they're hurting and they're needing something. And we're going to look at them and go, look at the dogs. They can't have any, they have no place here, but they're going to go, no. I know you don't think we're anything, but I'm willing just to take a crumb while you and I sit in front of a feast. I'm telling you, there's coming a day. I can't make you be hungry. I can't make you desire Jesus. But I'm telling you, there will come a point in day where God's going to be like, I'm going to go search for those who are willing to take a crumb. I said all this today. I believe the Lord put on this in my heart to challenge you. We're not going to go anywhere being foodies for Jesus. We're not going to go anywhere just being filled up with our own life. There has to be a desire in all of us for a hunger for Jesus that's greater than anything. And to the hunger, to the point where no matter what happens, we won't get offended, we won't stop, even if it means we just take a crumb. We don't need the fancy fixings. We just need a crumb because a crumb from a master's table can change a life. In Jesus name, I pray somehow, some way you're challenged today to look at your own life and go, okay, you know what? Boy, I've not, I've been filled up with so much stuff that there'd be a fresh hunger and desire that would come on you today that says, God, I need a reset Maybe that starts with forgiving God because he hadn't, he didn't come to your beck and call. Maybe like the lady, the Greek Syrophoenician lady, he ignored you and you got offended. Get over your offense and say, God, I, I just, I need you. Even if it means it's a crumb. Challenge you today. I don't challenge you. I believe God's challenging you because I believe there comes a point where we get to the point where God says, okay, enough is enough. He did it to Israel, turned away from Israel and gave it. Gave the promise to us as the Gentiles. The Bible says he'll eventually turn back to Israel. But he turned away from Israel because Israel got to the point where they're like, nope, we're good. I'm telling you, the modern day church, the apostolic Pentecostal church, 
especially that has the corner of the market, there's going to point in time where God's going to go, you know what? Now I'm not going to sit here, keep making you gourmet meals so you can, so you can tickle your palate. Cause there are tens of thousands out there that are just willing to take a crumb. 